You're listening to sermons from South Point Fellowship, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpointfellowship.org. appreciate y'all praying for us up in McDonough. We definitely need those prayers all the time. Um, I know you guys might be missing Michael today, and so I decided to bust out the whiteboard just so you have a little, you know, a little feeling of Michael Powell's presence here. Uh, I know how much he likes to use it. No, I want to actually thank Haley because it was a slide. This is going to be a slide, and I forgot, you know, a little lost in translation between McDonough and uh, Locust Grove is uh, we got the little screens here. We got the two big screens up there. So this wasn't going to really translate as well. So thanks to Haley for helping me uh, put that over on the, the whiteboard. You'll probably be able to read it better anyway with her handwriting than my handwriting. Uh, but if you want to go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And as you're doing that, I want you to, to keep in mind today, I want you to be thinking about uh, this image of uh, railroads, uh, railroad tracks, okay? So the tracks are not the point of the railroad. The tracks are what helps the, the, the train to get from one point to another point, okay? The tracks are definitely necessary. You would notice if they weren't there. Uh, you would notice if suddenly they went away, uh, but they aren't the point, okay? So, so much of what we're going to talk about today when it comes to spiritual gifts when it comes to uh, this gifting that God has given us, it, it, it's part of church that makes up those tracks. It's not the point. It's not what it's all about, but it's useful and it's necessary for us to get where we're going. And when we're looking at a passage like 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we're talking about some stuff that can be uh, almost even controversial at times, uh, can be the kind of things that spark debates in churches and can even divide churches at times, uh, we want to make sure that we keep in mind that whether it's spiritual gifts or whether it is uh, some of the less important things that we deal with or talk about in church, at the end of the day, it's important, but it's not the point. It's not the main thing. And so we want to kind of keep those things in mind as we are going. So hopefully you found 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we're going to pick up today in starting in verse 18. 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 18, it says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law, it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are assigned not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is assigned not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so... Falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and in each in turn, and let someone interpret. 
But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints... Women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers earnestly desire to prophecy and do not forbid the speaking in tongues but all things should be done decently and in order now this passage of scripture uh, in context is between two much more kind of well-known passages of scripture but unfortunately like we do a lot of times with scripture we pull those things out of context so we uh, in first corinthians 13 one of the most well-known passages in all of the bible so we have if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. In this passage, a lot of times we pull out and we hear it in uh, weddings, or we, you know, we hear it in sentimental occasions. So we kind of shade the meaning of it in those sort of sentimental type ways. But what we need to understand is that all of this, from this passage on love that we like to hear in weddings, or this passage on tongues or, or women in church that we like to maybe avoid, or this uh, passage that comes later in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this incredible exposition of the gospel. You know, maybe we hear that in an evangelistic type sermon. 1 Corinthians 15, right after the passage we read, he says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preach you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. And so we have these, these two passages right around this. The thing is, they're all in the context of this letter that Paul is writing to the Corinthians. And life in Corinth for this body of believers is a mess. We have all kinds of outside influence at play. We have a, a church that's, that's been influenced more by the culture than they have by the gospel that Paul is proclaiming. We have people living in open sin amidst this people, and they're not dealing with this open sin. So basically the clear, plain teachings of Scripture, the 1 Corinthians 13, the 1 Corinthians 15, those things are not being lived out. They're not being addressed. They're not being proclaimed. And instead, we're focusing on uh, chaos. We're focusing on gossip. We're focusing on what one person is saying here and there. We're, we're allowing people to live in open sin, and we're all debating the use of tongues or not using tongues. And that's what people are focused on instead of the clear, plain, important, first essential teachings of Scripture. And so all of these things are in context. So when we hear 1 Corinthians 13, it's in the context. This love is not just a sentimental kind of a thing. It's a in the trenches, 
in the midst of people you disagree with, in the midst of people that you don't necessarily like or that you may have problems with, love people sacrificially. And he says at the beginning of that, don't, if you, don't worry, if you speak in tongues, who cares if you don't love your, na- if you don't love your brothers and sisters? Who cares? Okay? If, if whatever, in, insert whatever little your particular theological or political idea that you care so passionately about that you're willing to fight with people over, if you don't love, some, if you don't love your brothers and sisters in, in, in Christ, who cares? Who cares about that thing? That's not important. If the gospel which he delivered to you as of most importance is not the most important thing in your heart and in your mind, who cares about your tongues? Who cares about... Th- so these things are important, like the rails on the track. We're not saying those things don't matter. Those things help us to get where we're going. But don't confuse the rails for the destination. Don't confuse the orderly way that we're called to get there with the ultimate purpose that we have to love God and to know Him and to be known by Him and to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's what the ultimate destination is for us. Okay, so we cannot confuse those two things. That being said, I want us to look at three things, and we're gonna, we get a, a nice little visual up here we're going to hit on, and then we're going to go through three things in this passage as well. So, so this little... Uh, graphic up here. Hopefully everybody can see it somewhat, Um, but if not, I apologize. But what we really have right here is kind of a visual representation of of what this passage is today, okay? So so we have uh, four different ways that we can use these gifts that God has given us, all right? So four different ways we can use these things. So he's given us these gifts. He's given us these ways that we're called to edify and build up the church, and we have four different ways that we can, can, several different ways we can use these things. So what we have on the top right corner is where we're called to be, where we're supposed to be. So this is joy-filled and purposeful. So if we're spending time focused on Christ and his word, and we're uniting with the body of Christ, then we're going to be joy-filled and purposeful people. Okay? If we're spent on uniting with the body of Christ, but we're focused, like in this passage, on things that don't really matter that much, we're worried about our own personal preferences and not everything else, and we're, we're kind of see, sowing those seeds in the body of Christ, then we're going to be divisive. We're going to be anxious and divisive in our, in our congregations. So we're going to be dividing people, and we're going to be sowing seeds of discord in the congregation. If we're spent in total isolation from the body of Christ, and yet we're on petty things that don't matter that much, we're going to be anxious, scared, and ineffective. And if we're spent focused on Christ and his word, but we're in isolation from other believers, then we're going to be arrogant and ineffective in what we're doing. Okay, so our goal is to ultimately spend our time focused on Christ and his word, uniting with the body of Christ so that we can be joy-filled and purposeful people. And so the first thing I want us to see from this passage today is that we're called to spend our time on the clearly revealed Word of God. Spend our time on the clearly revealed Word of God. So the Corinthians were getting so distracted, fighting over secondary things and secondary issues that they were forgetting the, the, the most important thing. They were forgetting the love of God and the love of other people. They were fighting over tongues and yet openly living in unrepentant sin and just allowing that to go on. So how often are we distracted by petty things that just don't really matter that much? Okay? 
it's really easy for us in isolation to say, yes, as, as believers, we're supposed to love one another. Yes, as believers, we're supposed to serve one another. But man, if I see on Facebook that somebody has a different political opinion than me, all of a sudden, I don't really love that person anymore. All of a sudden, I'm not going to really sacrificially love that person anymore. We allow secondary things to become of primary importance to us, and we forget what really matters. In this passage, uh, Paul refers back to a passage in Isaiah. If you look in verse 21, he says, In the law it's written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So at the time when Isaiah was saying these words, Israel at the time was the opposite of what Paul wanted the Corinthians to be. They were very much like the Corinthians. They were just assuming that as God's chosen people, they could basically live however they wanted, and they were going to receive God's blessing, and everything was going to be fine, and they didn't actually need to apply the clear teachings of Scripture to what they were doing. And so what ended up happening is he's saying to them, look, these foreigners who speak different languages than you are going to come and proclaim the truth to you, and it's going to be a shame to you as a people because as God's people, you're going to be hearing the truth spoken back to you in foreign languages and foreign tongues, and that's how you're going to be hearing and receiving it. And so Paul is using this to say, you're, you're worried about tongues. The truth is, these tongues originate with, 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 for the unbelievers. They originate for people who, are, who, are not, who haven't heard the clear teachings of Scripture. To help people come to know Christ in the first place, you're worried about these things that aren't as important. So when we talk about the specifics of, of tongues, we see in, in Scripture pretty clearly that tongues are in, in Acts or in, when we go back to Isaiah. For the most part, not always. There's some other texts we can, that can kind of go some other different ways. But for the most part, tongues are for people who are not believers, and it's to help people come to faith in Jesus. It's either a, kind of a miracle or a known language to somebody who is hearing the gospel in their own language. We see that in Acts. So tongues are, he's saying, kind of for unbelievers. That's not what you're supposed to care about. But how often do we see in churches where this, this kind of becomes the thing? This kind of becomes the way you show you're a, a real, true, super spiritual kind of Christian is by this tongue speaking kind of a thing. So we said, don't get so focused on that. Now, for us, that's not, that's not really a, a, a huge issue in our church or churches like ours. We're not fighting over tongues as much. But that doesn't mean that the same principle doesn't apply for us. So for us, you know, it, it may very well be a spiritual gift of, of uh, preaching or, or proclaiming the gospel or exhortation that becomes elevated sort of above the rest of the, the spiritual gifts. And we're like, you know, that's what I have to do, and that's what I have to be. And if it's not that, then and, and we kind of elevate that over everything else. But that's not supposed to be, it's not the most important thing. It's not what it's about. It's a gift that he's given us for building up the church to ultimately help us get to the point, which is loving God, Growing in our relationship with God, loving one another. That's, what the, the, that's where the train is going, okay? So, again, we don't want to get so bogged down in these secondary things and these secondary issues. He, he encourages them to focus on prophecy, okay? Now, prophecy, again, uh, we could kind of go a couple different ways with that. We could forget the point, forget the main idea, and we could get bogged down in, uh, in some of the, the specifics of that. So you know, I've had several talks with several of the other pastors the past few weeks. How do you necessarily define prophecy? If you look at different you know, famous preachers or preachers from the past, a lot of them will define prophecy in different ways. You know, is it 
Uh, is it kind of like what Old Testament prophecy is, declaring these like new words from God to people, exposing people's hearts, like he says in this passage? Uh, some people are like, well, no, it's just taking the clear text of Scripture and proclaiming it to people. Prophecy is basically like preaching. One thing that I think is pretty clear, we can define it pretty safely like this. Prophecy is proclaiming the words of God for the purpose of building up the people of God. Okay, Proclaiming the words of God for the purpose of building up the people of God. The reason that Paul's going to elevate that in this passage to the Corinthians is because the point of it is to build up God's people, to help them love God more, and to help them love other people more. That's the emphasis there. So that's why he's encouraging them to focus on this. So for us, whatever our gifts may be, and I know Pastor Michael last week went through specifically how God can use all these different gifts to, to help build up the body of Christ. So whatever your specific spiritual gift may be, the point is to edify and build up the body of Christ, not to fight over who has what, not like some kind of an Enneagram personality test to fight, oh, this is mine, this is mine, that's mine. No, that's not the focus and the point. The point is to use the things that God has given us to build up the body of Christ. So tongues, he says, kind of more for unbelievers. The point is to use these gifts that we have to build up the body of Christ. Look at verse 25 for just a second. In verse 25, he says, Falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So when we're looking at where the train is headed, when we're looking at where those tracks take us, ultimately, they're supposed to take us to worship, to fall on our face before God and love him and grow in our love for who God is. So whether it's prophesying, whether it's tongues, whether it's service, whether it's encouragement or exhortation, the point of all of them is not the gift. The point of them is the giver of those gifts. Okay? I, uh, I have a, an uncle who, when I was a kid, he would always, always pull us aside, myself or one of my brothers. And, and uh, you know, he was one of these strong, silent types, would never really say much, never said like, hey, I love you. You know, what's going on in your life? But, which is kind of sad when you think about it, but what he would do is he would pull us aside and he would, he would like give us $20 or something. You know, he'd be like, hey, come, come talk to me. He'd pull us aside, give us $20. Now, when I was a kid, when I was in middle school, or when I was in high school, the point was, man, I hope, uh, I hope uh, he's going to give me 20 bucks today because I could really use that for so-and-so. The point was the gift. You know, the point is he's giving me this $20. But ultimately, when you get older and you, you look back on that and the, you're like, man, no, the point was he's, that's kind of him saying as imperfectly as he can, like, I love you. You know, you're my nephew. I love you. This is something I'm going to give to you. The point is, is him, you know, the, the appreciation that he has. So when I look back on that now, who knows what I spent those $20 on things. Things don't really matter. But I look back with good memories and on uh, an uncle who cared about me, an uncle who was, was giving something because he wanted to say that he loved me. Uh, so the point was the person who was giving it, not the gift. When it comes to God, the, again, the point is, falling on our face before God, loving Him, okay, not the gifts that He gives us. So we don't want to elevate to a point of idolatry any of these kind of gifts that God has given us, but instead focus on the Savior. So whether we are, are looking at uh, prophecy or tongues, whether we're looking at these things as, uh, you know, w whatever specifics they play out as, however we use those, at the end of the day, if it's building the church and if it's glorifying God, then that's the way we're supposed to use it. If it's glorifying myself or dividing the church, then it doesn't matter what that gift is. 
we're doing it wrong. We're doing it wrong. At the end of the day, I heard one pastor say, there's a deeper right than being right. Okay, so if we're really right in how we use our gifts, but it's dividing the church and it's it's uh, not showing love for other people, then it doesn't matter how right we have our gift. It's not right. Okay, so we have to make sure that that the love and the gospel are behind all these things that we do, and the point is building up God's church. The second thing we want to see is we want to look to the body of Christ for peace, comfort, and edification in the Word of God. So the first thing we saw, the first kind of point is this, spend our time focusing on the Word of God, and that's going to help us to be joy-filled, okay? And when we then unite with the body of Christ, that's going to help us to be purposeful in what we're doing. It's going to help us to be, it's going to give us a reason for, for living. It's going to give us a reason for using these gifts that He's given us. We don't take these gifts and use those things in isolation, that's going to lead to corruption in our own hearts, and our own souls. He gives us these gifts not for ourselves, to, to puff ourselves up, to make ourselves arrogant. These are gifts that he's given us to use for others, to edify other people. So a lot of times we'll hear people say, well, you know, I don't really need DNA, or I don't really need to be a part of a life group. I'm really busy. I just, I'm pretty good at just getting off by myself and just spending time in the Word of God and just kind of focusing on Him. I got my Bible I can listen to some podcasts or, or this or that. Here's the deal. That's going to stunt our spiritual growth, okay? And it's going to stunt the growth of our church and the potential of our church as well because God has called you to a specific local congregation of believers so that you can be built up in that body and so that you can build up others in that body. If God had wanted to just simply use the word, to, to raise up, he could have done that, but he chose to to use means. He chose to use other people to build us up. The the title of this sermon today was was supposed to be, um, how you can get the most out of church. And when I I'll be honest with you, when I first read that, and they were like, "This is what you're going to be preaching," I was like, Ew. you know, that's kind of cringy. I don't really like thinking about how I can get the most out of church." But at the end of the day, part of that comes to a flaw in myself, my own kind of sin, my own kind of desire to isolate myself. It's a weakness that I have. I would much rather just be me and my Bible and my books in my, my room by myself just studying. Like, that'd be great. Uh, that, that, but that, so that's kind of a flaw for, for me. I don't like opening myself up to other people. I don't like being vulnerable and kind of being exposed to other people in the body of Christ. But at the end of the day, if I'm off isolating myself, I'm not giving other people the opportunity to use the gifts that God has given them to, to encourage me. So, so in a sense, we're limiting other people's spiritual growth by isolating ourselves as well. And so we're missing our opportunity to serve, but we're also keeping other people from having the opportunity to serve. So the truth is, no, we don't want to have the attitude of, you know, church is all about me and it's all about what I can get, what all I can, what all I can receive from it. No, you don't, you don't want that attitude. We want to be people who serve and people who, who give and people who contribute to, to the body. But we also don't want to be people who don't realize that we are here for a reason. And we're supposed to come to hear God's word proclaimed, to worship God with other believers, to receive encouragement from others, to be in, it, in, in relationships with people who know what our weaknesses are and who can exhort us and who can see our lives and say, you know what, this and this, and this out of love for you, brother, out of love for you, sister, we need, to, we need to talk about this. We need those kind of relationships. If you don't have anybody in your life 
who sees how you're living, knows what your weak areas are, and can't point those things out to you, that's a problem. Because we don't see in Scripture uh, anybody who's able to just kind of do this whole life on their own. There's no teaching in Scripture that, that would give us permission to not be united to the body of Christ, to not be accountable, to not be in submission to other people. Those are not words we really love in, in, uh, today. We don't really like being accountable to other people. We don't really like submitting to other people. And, and part of this is our own cultural identity. As, as Americans, we like to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We like to be autonomous individuals who are capable and, and you know, fully able, and nobody tells us what to do. We're, we do it ourselves. So that's kind of what we like to do. But we have to make sure that we're aware of our own blind spots as believers and say, just because that's a huge value in our culture doesn't mean that that's what we're supposed to value as believers. While some of those things can be very good, uh, and some of those things can be good values in, in the workplace or in, in life. That doesn't necessarily mean they're how we're called to be as believers. We're called to open ourselves up to each other. We're called to be honest with each other. We're called to need other people, to, to give help and to receive help from other believers. And so that's key for us. So we have to look to the body of Christ. He's given us this means for healing and for joy and for grace. If you look uh, back up in verse 26, he says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. So we see here, people. he said, you've all been given these, these gifts. You've been given these jobs. You've been given these roles. Use these things that he's given you to build up. You know, use these things to, to encourage each other and to build each other up in the body of Christ. The, the point here isn't about the tongues. It's not about the lesson. It's not about the point is to build others up in their faith and to point other people to Jesus. The qualification for all these spiritual gifts and their proper use is, are they encouraging and helping other believers and pointing them to Jesus? Are they serving as those rails that get people to the destination that we're going on? If they're about you and your ego, or if they're pointing others to yourself, or if they're causing confusion, or if they're dividing people, then stop. Then stop. It doesn't matter if it's a way that you've been gifted. You're not using the gift in the right way. Okay. So if it's not pointing other people to Jesus and glorifying Him and helping them to grow in their relationship, then don't, then don't do it. It'd be better if you hadn't even gotten that gift in the first place. Okay. So that's what we're called to do. So there's two big implications from, from this point. First of all, you're called to use your gifts to build up the church and to build up other believers. Each and every one of us are called to use the gifts that he's given us to build up the church and other believers. That's clear. But the second thing, second implication of this, is you're called to look to other believers in the church to use their gifts to edify you as well. And a lot of times, I don't know if you're like me, but for me, a lot of times that's the harder part. The harder part a lot of times is to open myself up to other people speaking truth into my life. Um, so I, I don't want to, to be Mr. Self-Sufficient. I can do everything on my own anymore. A lot of times if, you, if you've uh, spent time working with people who are struggling with, with sin or like, man, i got this sin in my life that I can't overcome. I can't move past it. Well, who, have you, who knows about this in the past? Who, who have you been confessing this to? Who have you been accountable to? Well, nobody. You know, I've, I've never really talked about this to anybody. I was worried about what people would think about me. Well, no wonder we can't overcome certain things. We're not meant to do these things on our own. We're not meant to become 
perfect believers in isolation from other believers. It's not possible. He's given us the church because there are people in the church who are gifted in ways that you're not, who can encourage you and who can exhort you and who can, who can give you that accountability that you need to, to overcome uh, sin and to grow in holiness. So I like to, to think at times about the, the church's its own little spiritual economy. Okay. Now, I, I, sometimes I get a little, I'm like, I don't know if I want to think about the churches in economic terms. Then that kind of, you know, that's an American thing to do too. But it, then I think like, well, you know, Jesus kind of gives a parable of the towns and things like that. So maybe I'm, a, maybe I'm okay there. So, so we'll just take it with a grain of salt. But if you think about the churches, its own little spiritual economy. And God has, has kind of filled our bank account. Okay? He's kind of given us grace and mercy and love He's given us these giftings, and we're called to, to, to spend that back into this economy that he's given us. We're, we're called to spend it on others, and they're going to spend it on us. Okay? We don't want to be somebody who just comes in and takes. We don't want to be somebody who just comes in and is like on, on spiritual welfare. You know, There are times in your life where you probably will have to be there. There's times in life where you just need the body of Christ to pour into you, and that's fine. You know, that, that's good. But we don't want to be there forever. We want to be at a place where we can then give back in return to other people who need that, all right? So we want to be people who are able to, to consume and also people who are able to, to give whenever it comes to the church. Uh, and, and the incredible thing that we're going to find is the more we're pouring into others, that a lot of times pouring into others is actually God pouring into us as well, is actually where we're going to grow the most and where we're going to receive the most blessing and encouragement and all of that too. So that's the second thing I want us to see. And the final thing, the third thing, is that we're called to give and receive edification in the way that God designed. We're called to, to give and receive edification in the way that God designed. And we're just going to we'll jump into this with, uh, with two feet, and we'll just see, um, again, touchy passage in Scripture when we're dealing with, uh, with women in the church. And for those of you who've gone through partners class, you know that, that we as a church are a, a, a complementarian church. We believe that, that God has created everyone equally. He's given people specific roles that they're supposed to, to have within the home and within the church, that uh, a man, a husband is supposed to be the spiritual leader in the home, that uh, elders, the spiritual authorities in the church are supposed to be, to be men. This is, should be no new information for anybody. And this is coming from passages like this passage. But I also want us to think about it, not necessarily in, again, not falling into the trap that the Corinthians were falling into of making the secondary issue the primary issue and fighting and debating over this thing. Again, we're in the context of love for one another and the gospel. We have a serious problem in Corinth that Paul's trying to address in the fact that people are, are, are worried about things that are not the most important things, and they're causing controversies to break out, and they're literally having services where people are, are standing up and fighting and gossiping amongst themselves and amongst each other. This is not an edifying or, or building up kind of thing in any sort of a way. We also want to qualify in the full context of Scripture with understanding, again, uh, in, in looking at a passage like this with humility and at the immediate context and then the full biblical context, we know that uh, there are people who d disagree that are great godly people on the specifics of a passage like this. We also know that uh, in the context of all of Scripture, there are plenty of times when women are teaching, when women are discipling, when women are helping people, whether it's Priscilla calling out and admonishing Apollos, whether it's Timothy's, Timothy's grandmother who's raising him up in the Lord, whether it's Titus when old women are discipling and raising up younger women. So we're not at all trying to minimize any of those uh, incredible roles that women have. In this passage, the, the point that I want us to take out of all of this, whether it's tongues, whether it's women, all this stuff in this passage is that there's a way that God has designed for things to be. And that way 
the tracks is not the point, but it's to help us to get to that end in an orderly way that God has designed. So he's calling women to learn in a spirit of, of quietness and submission, something he also asked men to do in other passages. We just said a minute ago, none of us like to be submissive. We're all called to submit to, to the elders or pastors in the church. We're called to submit to one another. We're called to submit to each other in Christ in love and those kinds of things. So we're called to do these things one to another, something that, that all of us don't necessarily like to do. Um, but the key here is the order and authority uh, in the church and the way that God has designed. Now, this is, a, again, like I was saying, a perfect opportunity for us to practice uh, the big point that Paul is trying to make here, not focusing on the secondary issues. We see in 1 Corinthians 13, we're called to love one another in Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, the point of first importance is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what we're called to focus on. When we're getting distracted on the other things, it's not important. Whether it's about tongues or whether it's about gifts or whether it's, these things are, are necessary, these things are important for us to believe and to proclaim, but they're not the point. They're not the end goal. So let's think practically um, about how some of this structure can play out and how we kind of play some of these things out in our congregation. So uh, we have several different structures in place in our congregation to help us to use these gifts that God has given us in the way that God has designed. So we have things like DNA, which is going to lead to serious uniting in the body of Christ, focusing on his word, okay? So we have more of a, a, a deep way that we can open up and expose ourselves to other believers in Christ. And it, it's going to take vulnerability in, within the context of that. And it's not necessarily, this congregation is not necessarily the place for you to stand up and expose your, your deepest and dirtiest, you know, secrets. But in the context of DNA with a few people who know you and love you, that is the place to do that so that people can speak truth into your life. Uh, and then focus on his word and how you can, can, can overcome those things in the midst of that. In life group, it's another layer of that, where as families we come together and take the word of God and apply it to our lives and know each other in the context of relationship and say, you know, out of love, hey, where have you been the past few weeks? I haven't seen you here. Hey, how are we serving God? Or how are we on mission for God? So again, uniting with the body of Christ, focusing on Christ and his word. A time like this, you know, in the, on a Sunday morning, now, I can tell you, and for, for any of you guys who were, uh, who were here a few years ago when me and my family were here, I'm not the person who's like, Mr. Personality, I'm bubbling, going around talking to everybody like everybody's best friend the first time you walk in. It's a stretch for me. I'm, I'm a pretty introverted person. It's like, man, I'll just kind of hang out over here in the corner, and if somebody wants to talk, cool. You know, so, but at the same time, are we going out of our comfort zone and coming early and, and trying to build relationships with other people and trying to see how we can serve? Maybe I'm not... Maybe I'm not uh, going to be the person who's leading worship up from the stage, but maybe I can be the person who's, you know, in the, in the room with the, the babies, like praying over them and, and encouraging their parents. You know, what, whatever the case may be, you know, every single one of these roles and functions is necessary for us as a church. So what am I doing practically? There's opportunities for us to serve. Uh, you know, I've talked to people who are serving as greeters or serving as connect table, and they're just like, oh, yeah, I just don't know if that's, that's not really... I don't really feel like I'm doing anything, you know. But you're, how, how many opportunities, if you've worked at Connect Table or if you've worked as a greeter, I've, I've done those things several times, and there's been so many great conversations or ways that you connect with somebody who's a, a new visitor or who, who's where that you would never have an opportunity to do that otherwise. 
So to point people to Jesus, to connect with them, to provide that love, that first kind of connection with somebody. These are some incredible ways that we can serve the body of Christ. So we have serve teams. We have weekly prayer. We have uh, times on Sunday mornings we can serve. We have missions teams we can serve and be a part of. There's multiple opportunities for us to use the gifts in practical ways. And I want to challenge you, encourage you to use those gifts in practical ways. God has given us each other, and he's given us a structure, and he's given us clear ways that we're called to proclaim the truth, to love God, to make him known to others, and we're called to make use of each and every one of those things. And so a couple of uh, points of application as we're wrapping up here. So one of the things I want to encourage you to ask yourself is, is there any way that you are building up yourself at the expense of building up the church? Is there any way in your life when you can look with some self-reflection and think, is there anywhere that I am building up myself at the expense of building up the church? There's always a temptation for us when we feel gifted in a certain area to kind of want people to know, hey, this is what I'm good at. Hey, this is where I'm strong. And hey, this is, this is who I am. This is how I identify. So are there, are there ways where we're trying to kind of glorify ourselves or build ourselves up? And one of the ways that you can sort of find this at times is if you're like kind of upset or offended, you're like, man, people don't know I'm real good at this. You're like, man, I'm not getting as much of an opportunity to sort of show this gift off as other people are. You know, we'll make sure that, again, it's not about me. It's about him. It's about Jesus. Okay, so we want to make sure that that's what the point is and that's what the focus is of those gifts. Are we building up or are we dividing? Are we the kind of person who is stuck uh, down here where we're kind of spent on petty things that don't matter that much, being divisive in the church? Are we up here purposefully serving the church? Which one of those places are we at this morning? Uh, the second thing, I love this, this part where, where he talks in here about um, we want to be people who are mature, uh, not in evil. We don't want to be people who are maturing and growing in evil. So the challenge I would ask you is, are you growing in godliness or in evil? Are you maturing in godliness or in evil? I think that's a really good question for us to ask ourselves all the time, but especially this morning, ask ourselves that. You know, If you're growing and maturing in evil, that's going to be divisive in the church. We're united one to another, whether we like it or not. When we partner with the local body of believers, we're united with each other, whether we like it or not. A lot of times we feel like, well, my sin is my own deal, and I'm kind of in isolation from other people. No, it's hurting the church in a couple of different ways. It's kind of bringing this spirit into the church, and it's also robbing the church of, of what you could be doing and how you could be serving if that wasn't a reality in your life. So am I growing and maturing in godliness, or am I growing and maturing in evil? Where have you become mature and evil? And, and if, if that is a reality in your life, we've got to, we're called to confess and repent from those things and turn to God. And turn to him. So we need to confess those things. And a great way to do that is in the context of DNA, one to another. Uh, you don't have to, you don't, you can, you're welcome to come and talk to a pastor, but you don't have to talk to a pastor. We have the body of Christ. We can confess to each other in DNA. We can confess to each other in life groups. We can find another believer that we love and respect. And we can, man, I need your, I need some accountability in this area. I need some help in this area. I want to I grow in holiness, and that gives somebody else an opportunity to use their gifts in us as well. When it comes to God and his, his church, do the things that you spend your time on, your thoughts on, so, so all of us, we, we, when, we, when we think about church, when we're wanting to spend our time here, when we're thinking about the things of God, 
Are those things that we're meditating on and spending our time on, are they things that, that are petty and things that divide? Or are they things that are encouraging to, to other people, encouraging us to worship? And remember, he's fallen on his face in worship before God in verse 25. That's where we're wanting to be and we're wanting to help others to come to. That's the place we're, want, we're wanting to be on a Sunday morning. We're wanting to be in our lives. The stance that we want to have before God is worshipful stance, and we want to help other people find that, that worshipful stance before God as well. So if we, if we look at our lives, we're like, man, I'm at this kind of the center of controversy a lot. I'm constantly sort of debating with other believers, or I'm constantly, man, every time I look on social media, I'm like, well, that person, well, that person, can you believe they said this? Can you believe they said, you know, Am I that kind of divisive person? And maybe we even need to step back and it'd be a good time this week in our life groups or our DNA to just be like, hey, I need to be honest. Are there areas in my life where I'm being divisive? Are there areas in, in life where I'm kind of tearing down the body of Christ instead of building up the body of Christ? Give people permission in your life to be, because that's one of those areas where we have a hard time seeing ourselves as we really are a lot of times. So we may want to ask some people around us, man, what are some of those areas where I'm sort of being divisive? Or where I'm sort of tearing, tearing the body of Christ down instead of building, building it up. And how can, I, how can I be used not to glorify myself and divide and hurt, but how can I be used to, to build up the body? And then ultimately, the main thing is the main thing. He, in, he goes straight from this passage into to 1 Corinthians 15, where he's again saying, hey, first importance is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. We're not a club. You know, we're not a, not a social club where we all get together and kind of do some fun things, you know. It, this is why it doesn't really matter if we are people that would hang out with each other inside or outside. Now we're family because of Jesus, because of the gospel. And so we're called. It doesn't matter if you, you man, would you hang out with that person outside of here? Do you, do you think that person's fun? Do you all have the same interests? None of that stuff really matters because ultimately number one in our life is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're called to be family, we're called to be family. Whether my brother and I, uh, you know, have the same interests or watching the same TV shows and movies or not, he's my brother. And I'm, I'm going to go out of my way to make sure that I maintain that relationship with him. We're brothers and sisters in this family. We all ultimately are on this train together going to this destination of loving God and loving others, of worshiping God. And so we're called to see how we can, how we can be growing in that and how we can be encouraging others and using our gifts to encourage others in that. So at South Point, every single week, uh, whether we're in McDonough or Locust Grove, we uh, participate in a, in a family meal. So as fellow believers in Christ, as people who do sort of look at ourselves in honesty and, and ask in that, that mirror uh, of the gospel, you know, what are those ways I need to confess and repent? What are those ways in my life that Christ's blood has died, uh, that Christ has died and spilled his blood and broken his body to to, to pay for my sins. And so, so we take a moment to reflect. And if you haven't received one of these little uh, communion elements, if you just raise your hand at this time so we can make sure that we come around and, and get one of these for you. But at this time, um, it, it is a, a meal that's for, our, uh, that's for believers. You don't necessarily have to be a partner of the church, but for somebody who has uh, believed in Jesus uh, as your Savior. And if, if it's something that you're not sure about or you have questions about, I would just ask you to, to hold off on it for now, but talk to, to one of your pastors. Uh, talk to uh, myself if you, if you want to afterwards. Talk to, talk to somebody around you. Let somebody else use their gifts to, to tell you about Jesus. Um, but this is one that's for people who, who are believers. So if you are a believer, I just want to encourage you to, to take this at this time and just reflect on 
Uh, first of all, the body of Christ that's broken for you, and we'll take this uh, little wafer as we do that, and just remember the body of Christ is broken for us, and take this together. In the same way that Jesus called us to remember his body that was broken for us, he called us to remember the blood that he shed for us on the cross that covers our sins. And so we remember that in spite of the ways we may feel convicted this morning, in spite of the, the, the sin that, that he may have revealed to us, we don't stand in condemnation before him because of the blood that he spilled on the cross for us. And so we remember the blood that he poured out for us on the cross. So, Father God, I want to thank you so much for the opportunity to be in this place this morning. Lord, I want to thank you for the blood that you spilled for us. Lord, each one of us can look at our lives and see areas where we care more about uh, things that don't really matter than things that, that really do matter. Lord, where we focus on things that tend to divide instead of things that build up. So Lord, I pray that as we're reminded of your blood that's spilled for us and has cleansed us from those sins, Lord, that you would just help us to release some of those things and, and confess those things to others and, and grow in holiness and grow in ways that we can build up and edify the body. But I want to pray also, Lord, just for, for uh, anybody in this place who, who is a, a mother today, Lord, uh, on this Mother's Day, God, and we just want to thank you for uh, the people that you've put in our lives who've raised us well. We also want to pray for any mother in this place who this may be a painful day for, God. I know Mother's Day can be just an incredibly fulfilling day. It can also be an incredibly painful day. So we just want to pray for anybody who may be struggling today that you would just give them your grace and mercy as well, God. But I pray for us as a body of believers that you would help us to, to encourage each other, help us to, to point each other to you, help us to extend grace and mercy to each other, Help us to love each other first and foremost. Help us to remember uh, that it's not always about being right. That truth is important. That your word is clear. But your word also teaches us that we can have every spiritual gift, but if we have love, don't have love, we have nothing. So Lord, help us to grow in our love for you and our worship of you. 